and reading a book, and, and she's talking in the book about the, the function of the brain, and she did a lot of research and study on the brain, but she says, you know what? When you set dreams and goals, you know what it does? It, a task list goes off in your mind. And so as I set these dreams and goals and I talk about where from here, you know what it sets me up to do? Like now I, now I got to take action. Now I got to go and do. As I think about where from here, as I dream about what's next for Creekside, it's exciting, isn't it? Are we excited? There's much reason to be excited. And that's another thing that comes with change. If we get this excitement of where from here, what's next? And so we look forward to that and we dream about what is to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we talk about where from here, we want to talk about just our role as believers, as leaders, as a church as a whole. What, what is our role in all of this? And I think Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 gives us a little picture. I'm going to read the first three verses and then we're going to come back to it. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So there's three things uh, I want to look at this morning. The first would be a maturity in ministry. The second will be leaders in ministry. And the third, the church in ministry. But I, I, I kind of focused and spent a lot of time here because I, as I read it and I studied it, I thought, you know what, on an individual level, man, if we're not getting this, if we're not growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, man, the rest of it might, might not even matter. I mean, our role in ministry is going to be pretty ineffective if I'm not growing. And you, you see this, and I was thinking about infants, right? And Katie, it's at Violet, right? So we got Violet in the house, okay? So Violet is here this morning, and you know, don't we love babies? My, my wife dropped off a meal to Katie, and then she came home and talked about Violet for like half an hour on end. I said, we're done. There's no more kids. It's over. But, but we love babies. We love them. And when babies act like babies and babies do baby things, isn't it kind of cute? Yeah, absolutely. When they act like babies, it's cute. Now, as kids get older and maybe even become adults, if they do baby things and act like babies, is it as cute anymore? <laughs> it's not. Even as my daughter is three years old and she's struggling to go poop, Okay, because we're making this transition, and now she'll only go poop. Can I say that? I should have got permission first. But she will only go poop in the new house. Okay, and so we have a problem, okay? And, and so we have this dilemma going on. It's, it's not quite as cute. You know, baby's poo is kind of cute. It's not as cute when they get to be three, okay? So we have this dilemma. And so when we quit being a baby, but yet continue to do things and act like babies, it's not quite cute. And so what's going on here at the church at Corinth is Paul's addressing them and says, listen, when you first received the message, when you first heard about Jesus and accepted the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, you guys were infants. And that's great. I gave you milk because that's what infants drink. 
And that's what you needed. But now time has passed, and you're no longer infants, yet you're still acting like infants. Right? We, maybe I just hear it all the time, but you know, here, quit acting like a baby, right? You hear that. Because it's not quite as cute anymore. And so what's going on in Corinth in spiritual terms is you have people who shouldn't be babies, but spiritually are still acting like it. Whenever an individual lives to please themselves, instead of living to please God, they stunt their growth. See, when we live for me and my life, as opposed to living for God and for his kingdom and for the things that he wants, growth doesn't happen in our life. And if no growth, you know, if I live that way, imagine the impact it has on all the lives around me. If I live for me and not live for personal, for, for the kingdom and don't see that growth, man, is my family going to be impacted? If there's no growth in my pursuit of Jesus, my relationship with him and my wife, my kids, will they be impacted? Absolutely. You know, if there's no spiritual maturity and no growth in my life, imagine the impact it has on Creekside on the church. See, we believe in every member ministry. We believe that everybody here at the church has a role to play in the kingdom of God and specifically at this church. And when we are not a part of that and not functioning and not growing, man, it impacts the entire body. But as we begin to grow in their spiritual maturity, man, imagine things that happen. We begin to pray together. We begin to study the word of God together. We begin to share the message of Jesus together. Man, and there's growth that takes place. So we talk about where from here, we talk about growth. It begins on an individual level, our spiritual maturity, that we are no longer infants, and yet we tend sometimes to still act like them. We still live in infancy. I think it's important uh, to understand what spiritual infancy is. Okay? To know of what we need to come out of and the growth that needs to happen, we need to know what spiritual infancy is. And we want to understand first, I, I spoke uh, in John chapter 3 a couple months ago, and it's the story of Nicodemus, right? It's a powerful story. But in it, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so what we see in this story with Nicodemus is all of us were born physically alive, right? We know that. You're here. You're alive today. You, make this easy for you. You were born physically alive. Here's what we also know. We will all physically die. Each and every one of us, born physically alive, and someday will physically die. But here's what we also know, and the Bible tells us, that each and every one of us was born spiritually dead. So although physically alive, born, we were born spiritually dead. And so there must come a point in our life when we go from dead to alive, right? Right? We must be born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus. We must be made spiritually alive. At some point, there must be, we must go from lost to found, from broken to healed, from dead to alive. At some point in our life. And so what, what we know to be true is that at this moment, at this, at this moment when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, something amazing happens. That we are freed from the penalty of sin. At this moment, when I trust and I put my faith in Jesus, I'm freed from the penalty of sin. Paul tells us in Romans, right, for the wages of sin is death. All of us, 
for the sin we've committed, for the things we've done wrong, man, we deserve death. But man, the gift of God is eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful thing, what he's done? And so at this moment, we trust Jesus. There's this freedom from freedom from the penalty of sin. Something else incredible happens at that moment. One day, when this life ends, for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we will be freed from the presence of sin. Someday, when we're in his presence, we'll be freed from the presence of sin. Because that's what heaven is, a place where there is no sin. And you think about all the suffering and all the pain, all the disputes. You think about what took place in Las Vegas this week. You think about what took place in Johnston this week and the fear for our children. Man, someday we'll be free from that. Free from the presence of sin. When we are in heaven, when we are in his presence, there'll be no pain or suffering. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more heartaches. There'll be no more regrets. Isn't that incredible? We're freed from the penalty of sin, and someday we'll be freed from the presence of sin, but right now we've got a problem, don't we? Right now we've still got to live this life. And so we're freed from the penalty of sin. It's a beautiful thing, and someday when we're in his presence, we'll be free from the presence of it. But until then, we have a problem. And the ministry of the Spirit of God is to bring the Word of God upon our hearts so that we may be saved from the present activity of sin's power in our life. Free from the present activity of sin's power in our life. So there's the penalty of sin. We're free from that when we trust Jesus. And someday, when we're with him, we'll be free from the presence. But until then, the power of sin is real, is it not? So there's these kind of key concepts. You go back to the story of Nicodemus and Jesus telling him, you must be born again. There's this idea of regeneration, right? We're a new being, a new creation when we put our faith and our hope and trust in Jesus, when we came to faith. Someday, be glorified when we're welcomed into the presence of Jesus and the presence of sin is no more. But until then, sanctification needs to happen. This is the process of us progressively being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at what's going on here in, in Corinth and in a lot of lives of, of in the church in America today, there's this stuck in infancy, right? There's a stuck of being just spiritual babies. Because the sanctification is not taking place. We're not being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus. In Galatians, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, when we've died and we've been freed from this penalty of sin, sin no longer reigns in our life, but it still remains. It no longer rules our life. We were once a slave to sin, but we are a slave no more but it still remains. And so we're told in Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? The flesh remains. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's this battle that still goes on. Right? There's the battle that Spirit 
And there's the battle of the flesh. And the Spirit's work in our life is that we would live by the Spirit. And he goes on to say, right, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What it looks like to live by the Spirit. But he also mentions all these things that here's what it looks like to live by the flesh. And so there's this battle, right? Sin no longer reigns. I have Jesus in my life, but it, but it still remains. And so I need to learn and pray to live by the Spirit. And so the problem here, the church at Corinth, he came and he shared the message of Jesus, and they trusted in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and they were spiritual babes, and they drank milk because that's what babies do, right? And we don't, I mean, if Katie was here feeding a Big Mac to, to Violet, we'd probably call some people, wouldn't we? Yeah. You feed baby milk. That's what you do. And so he came, and they gave him the milk, but it came to a point now when they, why are you still babies? See, just because we grow older and maybe mature in some ways does not mean we become mature in the spiritual life. And the issue with these guys, it's not a mental issue, right? They're listening to Paul, and they're listening to Apollos, and they're listening to these things. But the issue is not, it's not a mental one. It's an issue of living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. It's an issue of actually going and doing. See, they're listening and they're hearing, but they're not going and doing and living out what they hear. I shared that illustration, right, with uh, Francis Chan a couple months ago, and the story he talks about with his daughter. He says, you know, I tell my daughter, go clean her room. And she'll go up and she'll study what it means to clean her room. And then she'll break down the different ways in which she could clean her room. And then she'll invite friends over and they'll together study what it means to clean their room. He's like, all I want her to do is go clean her room, right? And we do that so often. We hear and we listen. But yeah, all what we need to do is learn to go and live it, right? To go out and live it. Spiritual maturity is not going to happen by me coming here once a week and just listening. Spiritual maturity happens when I come. That's good. It's good that we come and listen. But then we begin to study, we begin to learn, and we begin to live by the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things begin to become evident in our life. And no longer living in infancy, but begin to mature on a spiritual level. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1, 3, uh, 1 through 3, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you by it may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted and seen, the Lord is good. You can read those verses, and it's almost kind of, we kind of look at it backwards. They've tasted, and they've seen the Lord is good. They understand who he is. They've trusted in Jesus, and now there's this battle, right? He says, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. It's tough to do both. It is tough to, to have the spiritual milk and the meat, and yet still live by the flesh. Malice and rage and envy and all these things. I think of my kids and if we're going to have a, a nice meal, maybe we'll order, you know, a nice healthy meal like pizza or something. And so beforehand, what do they want to do? Well, they want snacks and maybe they want some ice cream. 
Well, what happens if my son, he goes and he eats a big bowl of ice cream before our healthy pizza? Let's say I'm actually going to have a healthy meal. Well, he's full, isn't he? He's put that crap in his body, and now he's not, I'm not really hungry for the stuff that he really should be eating. Not, not pizza. And the same way for us spiritually. We, we put so much junk, the rage and the malice and the envy and all these things, so much junk in our life. That's what happens. We don't leave room for anything else. The same way it is physically, it's spiritually. You know, I live my entire life a certain way, and then I try to give myself a little meat or a little milk. Guess what's going to happen? Not much. It's going to have a very small impact on my life. Paul comes and he says, you know, I talk to you like babies. And the question for us, you know, are we growing in our faith? Are we still babies? And if we expect to come here every week and, you know, have Steve spoon feed us, and for us to then grow into mature Christians, not going to happen, is it? It won't happen. At some point, we must pursue the Word, we must pursue the things of Christ on our own, because that's where true spiritual maturity is going to happen. If we welcome all that junk in our life, we're going to leave no room for the Spirit. So, you need to be here on Sunday, no doubt. But you know what else? We have great opportunities here at Creekside. we got small groups that have just started up. And I, th- I would encourage you, become part of a small group where you can study the Word in a smaller setting and you can have intimacy and pray for each other, challenge each other. That happens within small group. I would encourage you to find places at Creekside to serve. You know, I said it earlier, but we believe in every member ministry that everyone has a role to play. Right? We were all the body of Christ. And when one part of the body is not functioning, how's the rest of the body doing? Right? We're not working at our full capacity if everyone is not involved and serving. Even on an individual level, personal Bible study, personal prayer, meditation on a daily basis, that I'm spending time in the Word, I'm spending time communicating with Jesus, spending time meditating on His Word. I think this is where it begins, that there's a maturity on an individual basis. The second thing is uh, leaders in ministry. Leaders in ministry. In the church in Corinth, they had a problem. Well, they had several problems. But one of the problems they had, he points it out here, for when, starting in verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as a Lord assigned to each other this task. And so they're listening to Apollos, and they're listening to Paul, and we can, kind of, we can kind of visualize it a little bit, because I think we do this from time to time. And some people, they'll listen to Apollos like, oh man, that Apollos, he is anointed. Man, God speaks through this guy. When he speaks, I want to go out, I want to hit the streets, I want to proclaim the message. Man, Apollos is the guy. He's the man. I love listening to him. And yet others will say, you know, man, but Paul, he brings the meat, right? Man, when Paul speaks... I learn. It's not this spiritual milk. It's the meat. And I'm no vegan Christian, right? I want the meat. And we do that sometimes. It might be our favorite author. It might be our favorite speaker. It might be certain leaders. But, you know, we live in a society, we tend to put 
you know, with celebrities on a pedestal, and we tend to make people who aren't celebrities, make them celebrities, right? And the reality is we, we allow them to be the source, a source of grace in our life, right? They, they're not that. They are a mouthpiece. They are ones that, that will proclaim and share the message of Jesus, but they're never to be the source, never to be the source. And so as we look at leaders, what are leaders to be? Well, I mean, Paul says it, right? I mean, what does Paul say? Paul says, listen, it's not me. It's not Apollos. What are we? We're servants. Nothing more than servants. And Paul's encouraged him, listen, if you put me on a pedestal or you put Apollos on a pedestal or anyone else, you miss the point because it is all about Jesus. And what Paul says, he says, you know what? Forget looking at me. Forget looking at Apollos. We're just mouthpieces. We're just instruments. Look to Jesus. And what a leader is supposed to be is someone who's a servant. And a servant doesn't own anybody, right? A servant is owned by the master. And Paul says, Apollos, myself, we are servants. We are owned by the master. And all we do is point people to the master. That's what it's about. It's our role as well, right? What we're to do, we are servants of Christ. We are to point people to Jesus. That's our role. My wife and I went to a real estate conference uh, last month in Vegas, and we don't, you know, we're not too adventurous, so we actually never left the hotel. Uh, but we went to the conference, and then we go out to eat every night. And if you go to any hotel in, in Las Vegas, you know what you find? You find a lot of restaurants. And at each restaurant, they're kind of a featured chef, isn't there? And so the place we ate was Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. We chose to eat there because, you know, Wolfgang Puck is famous, and I figure he must be a good chef. Well, we don't choose to go to a restaurant because somebody comes to our table and pours some water in, right? We don't choose to go to a restaurant because the maitre d' comes around and says, how, how was your dinner tonight? We don't choose to go to the restaurant because there's somebody that puts a little smiley face on our receipt when we leave. Why do we choose the restaurant? We choose it because of the chef, the guy who's cooking. Listen, the church is the same way. There's people, a lot of people have different roles within the church, right? There's some that, you know what, they greet you when, when you come in. There's some right now teaching our kids. There's this one really good-looking guy preaching right now. But we all have different roles and different gifts. But we don't come here because of that, right? We come here because of him. We become because of Jesus. And if we're coming here because of the speaker, we're coming here because of the Sunday school, or whatever, we miss the point. We come here because of Jesus. He is the reason. And our gratitude should be to God for giving us leaders at a specific and anointed time to share the message with us. I believe that. But we also know that, you know, man, no, no leaders indispensable. I was reading in Joshua this week, and it's kind of humbling to read the first couple verses of Joshua. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. I love that. Who was Moses? Moses is one of the greatest leaders of Israel. I mean, Moses, 400 years of captivity, and he leads them to freedom from Egypt. Right? They, 
parted the Red Sea and they crossed. I mean, these are pretty incredible feats, right? But what's it say about him? The servant of the Lord. Even Moses, the greatest leader, what was his? He was here to point people to God, to show them Yahweh. Right? That's what Moses was to do. The next verse, it goes on, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, <laughs> well, okay, Moses is dead. Time to move on. Time to move on. Even the great Moses could be replaced. It doesn't mean there's not significance. It doesn't mean we don't have a role. It doesn't mean we don't impact the kingdom. But listen, we are just mouthpieces. We are just tools. We are just instruments to point people to him, to point people to Jesus. And to be able to be a part of it is an incredible thing, isn't it? That God would choose to use us to impact his kingdom in a lost and a broken and dying world. What an incredible thing. It's all about him. There's only one who paid for our sins, only one who was crucified and raised again, only one by which we can get to heaven. I mean, Paul says it. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. One mediator. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. And the reason we're here and the reason we serve and the reason we come as a church and we gather Sundays and Wednesdays and we get together a small group during the week is because of him, right? Appoint people to him. The last portion is uh, church and ministry. I'm going to read the last few verses here, starting at the end of verse 5. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. I mean, that's humbling to look at that. Listen, I'm Paul, I mean, Paul, Paul's a guy who wrote 13 books of the Bible, right? He's given us a lot of of what we read and a lot of the doctrine of the church, and yet he's a man, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm a servant. I've come to point you to point us to Jesus. And our role's exactly the same. You know what? Some plant, some water, but it is God who makes this thing grow. I have no part other than to plant and to water, but ultimately, who does the work? It's God. God does the work. God's field, God's building. Here's the reality. The church belongs to God. And if you think about God's field, right? You think about it. It's my, my grandpa would always tell me, you know what? God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. Right? It is all his. It's his field. But we all have a role to play. You know what? And some plant, and some work the plow, and some water but all have a role to play in it. You know, some of us, we got to teach Sunday school. Some of us help with Awana. Some of us deacons and elders. Some of us greet on a weekly basis. But my encouragement challenge would be find a way to get plugged in and use your gift. God has given every single one of us. For those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, he's given us a spiritual gift to use. We've been given gifts and talents and our encouragement challenge is find ways within the local church to use them. 
Let me, let me tell you what happened. You go back to the beginning. Guess what's going to happen? You'll get out of this stage of spiritual infancy and begin to grow, mature in your relationship with Jesus. You know what else will happen? You'll cause us to grow as well. As you begin to use your gifts, man, the church as a whole, we're going to be better off for it. Right? You think the church is a body. And when the, it's functioning properly is when everyone is involved and using their gift. Planning or working or watering, whatever it is. God has a building and there's different workers, right? All have a role. But at the end of the day, whose church is it? It's his, right? It's not an audience for a preacher. It's not a, a business for stockholders. It's his. The church belongs to him. And he thought so highly of the church that he gave his son, that he purchased it through the blood of Jesus. What an incredible thing. Paul goes on to say in this chapter that Jesus is the foundation for the church. Right? He's the head of the body, that everything, this body that we are, it all flows and it all points to Jesus. It doesn't belong to the leaders. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Christ. And everything you do should flow out of this single realization. And that it is all His. It is all His. You go down to verse 16, we're told that, don't you know that you yourself, you yourself are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in your midst. The temple belongs to Him. It's all about Him. The implication is that if, is we, don't, we don't serve ourselves, do we? My life is not my own, but I serve Him. My life is His. And we must live in a way that we know we're going to answer for that. Paul says, says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of that calling. Live a life that reflects that God gave up his son for me. That God gave his son that I may live for the wages of sin. Wages of sin was death. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve destruction. But you know what he did? He gave me Jesus. He gave me Jesus. And if I would trust and believe upon him, man, I'd know life and life eternal. What a promise. What a thing that God has done for us. We're going to take a moment, and we have the bread and the juice up here. And the bread and the juice are a reminder to us of this great thing that God has done for us. Man, to remember and to reflect and to celebrate on this great gift that God has given in Jesus. And the, the bread to represent Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice to represent his blood that was shed. His blood that covered our sin. Right? We needed a sacrifice. And God gave us his son. And so it's here, and if we would ask you, you know, if you, if you know Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, to come and partake and remember this great thing that he has done. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you and we're reminded, God, that we are just humble servants. God, may our lives and our words, 
God, just be a mouthpiece and may we just be a tool to point people to you. God, in our actions, in our words, God, may this be true. God, we pray that you would help us to begin to live by the Spirit, to no longer live. Although sin doesn't have reign in us, we know it remains, and we pray that we begin to live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh, that we would grow from this state of, of spiritual infancy and grow in spiritual maturity. God, we pray that we would live a life worthy of the calling we've received. We live a life that reflects that when people look at us, man, they, they see Jesus. They see something different. And God, as we spend time now and we reflect and we think about the death of your son, we just want to say thanks. That you would love us so much that you would give your only son for us. What a thing you have done. God, may we be challenged to live differently because of it, to live that life worthy of the calling we've received. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus.